Hey everybody, this is Dave Broadbeck coming to you from my podcast studio, which is actually my daughter's old bedroom. Anyway, uh, coming up, Psychology 3256, Advanced Univariate uh, Statistics. used to be called Design and Analysis, but that was a stupid name, so we changed it. Uh, I hope you like it. This is for fall of 2019, by the way. And uh, you like it or not, look, you have to know stats. Okay, so today and the next time, I'm going to start talking about expanding analysis of variance into, into something much more powerful. Now, when you do this stuff, and I'll eventually show you how to do it with SPSS, you don't use the compare means function anymore. You use something called the GLM, General Linear Model. It's actually doing the same thing. Okay. But you don't use the compare means function. Okay. As an aside, generally when you're setting up a data set, you want a subject number, whatever that subject is, one, two, three, four, five, should be a number. The independent variable level, so A1, A2, A3, whatever, and then the dependent variable. Each of those is a record, it'll always work. Okay. So yeah, I'm some data. Let's pretend we're doing a, a, just a memory experiment, standard memory experiment. We're going to give people lists of words, and we're going to get percentage correct. And let's say you've collected data on the effects of retention interval on memory. This is not going to be anybody's honors thesis. This was figured out a long time ago at the house, 1890. So you don't have to, you know, ooh. And this is not that different than numbers you might get, but 90% correct after five minutes, 70% correct after an hour, and maybe down to 60 or even less perhaps after 24 hours. Okay? So it wouldn't be a surprising result. We would do an analysis of variance, and we conclude that retention interval affects memory. You might do post-hoc tests. In this case, you might do a transformation on those data because they're proportions, percentages. If, if, if the variances are messed up, but you'd end up concluding retention little effects memory, it would be nothing groundbreaking, you would be the zillionth person to replicate that result. Now let's say you tried to do something else, you, taught, you thought it was say levels of processing, and those of you who have taken memory with me or are taking it with me, know about levels of processing, it's the, the idea that we have different levels of how deep we process items when we remember them. Um, starting at a low level, which is just what something looks like, just a pattern of, of let's say it's words again. So it could be the number of ascending and descending letters. So if one of the words was, well, it's called levels here, it has two ascenders. Okay? So I'm just asking you to count the number of ascending and descending letters. Middle level might be how many syllables are there? Because you have to kind of read the word out to yourself to figure that out. So the word levels, Two levels. I can have you counting phonemes, but you probably make mistakes and think too much about it. Don't do that. And finally, I can have you rate the pleasantness of the word on a scale of one to seven. Now you have to think about the meaning of the word. Right? And you think levels isn't that pleasant a word? No, or unpleasant, I don't think. But the point is, you have to think about what the word levels means and to to. to Go on. So that's going to be more deep processing or high level of processing. And you get something like that. 
right? Levels of processing effect is, again, uh, well, the, the paper on levels of processing is the most cited paper in history of comparative psychology. Or, uh, sorry, uh, cognitive psychology. Probably experimental psychology. Craig and Lockhart, 1972. It's been cited 12,999 times. Or something like that. 12,299 uh, last week when I checked, just before I gave a lecture on this. It's probably more already. It goes up about 2,000 a year. It's pretty good. So you do an ANOVA and you conclude the levels of processing affects memory. Again, <coughs> you will not win any Nobel Prizes or even get credit for designing a thesis project because this is too easy. It's a neat idea. It was also discovered when I was eight years old. Hmm. Great. What level of retention interval should you have done your levels of processing to experiment at? So you should have five minutes. One hour, 24 hours, two weeks, 10 seconds? Oh, for that matter, what level of processing should you have used for your retention of experiment? Should you have told people to read the word for themselves aloud? Should you have told people to count the number of syllables? Right? So what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to try it at all the different levels of retention interval? At all the different levels of levels of processing, which is a horrible i got to start using a different example. But the slides are made up. I'm not changing. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, so, well, what we do, of course, in this is we're going to combine them. So we're going to get groups of subjects, group one, group two, group three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay. Oh, the music's starting again. One year when I was teaching brain behavior in that room over there, I forget the number, where they would always be playing piano during the conversation. It was the weirdest thing. And one day he started playing, like singing in the rain, and I kid you not, there was an umbrella sitting there. And he left, and I just took it out of the roll. That's all the dancing I do until you get about 15 beers in me. Just keep that in mind. It's, dancing is just before karaoke for me. So what we have here, we call it a three-by-three three design. Between subjects, actors, both of them, we call it a three-by-three three between subjects, design, we call this, or a three-by-three three factorial. What you've done is you've combined every level of retention interval and every level of levels of processing. So now you have nine groups, not just three. You've basically done you're testing both of these variables at the same time. Exceedingly common approach. Question so far? Do you understand the setup? Okay, good. So here comes the, 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 the model. This is the structural model. Lit on fire first, which is good. I would probably like that. <laughs> X equals mu plus alpha plus beta plus alpha beta plus epsilon. And those alphas and betas aren't the same as type 1 and type 2 error. I'm sorry, it's not my fault. I didn't develop the freaking notation. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at someone else. I don't know. I don't know who we can blame, but somebody we all hate. I don't know who that is. I don't think we would probably come to some Hitler. It was Hitler's fault. <laughs> we'd probably come to a general agreement that he was a bad guy. 
we hit those goals. Any score? Sometimes I get bored and I play with the transition things. I'm sorry. Equals the grand mean plus the A effect plus the B effect. That's independent variable A, independent variable B. There are two variables, A and B, in this case. We could say A was the levels of processing and B is the retention interval, if you want. The AB interaction, and of course, that's fast, right? That comes in pretty good. Error. Individual differences, stuff left over. X equals zero plus alpha plus beta plus alpha beta plus epsilon. Say that yourself three times before you go to bed, uh, and Fisher appears and kills you. It's more like Candyman. Mirror. R.A. Fisher, R.A. Fisher, R.A. Fisher. And then a whole biologist appears behind you and develops these things from first principles. Much more boring than Candyman, but, but better. Okay. So x equals beta plus alpha plus beta plus alpha, beta plus epsilon. <coughs> oh. Oh, oh, I thought it was out of slides. It was out of slides, didn't it? I start screwing around with these things enough because, no, I don't correct or change the examples. I just start playing with transitions because I'm a loser. And it gets to the point, it's like, oh, my, my, my whole presentation's wrecked. So not only can we look at the effects of A and B on their own, because it's gonna, this is going to isolate the effect of A and ignore the effect of B. The math will do that. It's going to isolate the effect of B and ignore the effect of A. So those are great, but we also look at how they act together or how they interact. Sort of a whole is more than some of its parts thing, right? So the whole is more than some of its parts. Uh, This is the effect of one variable changing depending upon the level of a second variable. That's, in fact, definitionally what it's called a two-way interaction is. The effect of one variable changes depending upon the level of some second variable. So, I mean, you can think of it this way. It's, I always I'm only think of sad examples. But let's look at income. Women make less money than men. It's not good, but it is. That gas gets smaller, but it's still air. Women make less money than men. Right? So if we were to predict income based on your sex, you make less money if you're Okay. Native people like, make less money than white people. It's not good, it just is. The world is getting better that way, but there's still that day. But being a native woman is probably harder than just being native or just being a woman. It's probably, in fact, it's probably something that adds on to that. There's an extra thing. Right? That's an interaction. We could make it happy and say it's great being a white man, but that wouldn't be very cool, I would say. 
So it's this extra effect. Something over and above just the sort of additive effect of, of, of some level of A and some level of B. Okay. Now that we're all depressed, let's look at this. It's like this. We have an experiment. These are some results of I don't know what the hell it is. I, I have no creative skills whatsoever. But we can pretend that we have an experiment here where we have some results. There's group A, there's, there's A1, level A1, and level A2. This is B1, and this is B2. You can see that at A1, B2 is bigger than B1 by, it looks like, two points. That looks like five and seven, right? And over here at A2, B2 is, is that about 12, and that's 20, is eight bit points bigger. The effect of B changes depending upon the level of A. It's a bigger effect at A2 than it is at A1. Does this make sense so far? I don't know why that's like that. Anyway, the difference between B1 and B2 is smaller at A2 than it is, it should say, at A1. The effect of B changes depending upon the level of A. I screwed around with things, obviously screwed that up. One of the sort of rules of thumb you can use is, are the lines parallel? If they're not parallel, you maybe have an interaction. equals mu plus alpha plus beta plus alpha, beta plus epsilon. Um, we have assumptions that are built into the model. Uh, the sum of the alphas, the alpha i is equal zero. What does that mean? That means the elevation or depression due to the level of A that you have. Let's say if you're in group, if, if you're in level one of A, so you're in A1, your score goes up by two. And if you're at A2, your score, and let's say we only got a two by two, so A1, A2, B1, B2, your score goes down by two. Okay. So the sum of the alpha i's, i is just an index. So A1 can go up to, A2 can go down to. It has to sum to zero. And you'll see in a bit that that just falls out of this working this way. There's no other way this can work. Okay. The sum of the beta j's equals zero. So the sum of the b effects equals zero. So if b1 makes you go up seven, b2 makes you go down seven. Okay. The sum of the alpha i beta j's the effect of being A1, B1, A1, B2, A2, B2, A2, B1, I think I got them all there, sum to zero. So if, if it was like this, so A1, A2, 
A1, let's say this, A1, B1 makes you go up by one. A2, B1, you go down by one. A1, B2, you go down by one. A2, B2, you go up by one. There's a special little thing there that they have to sum to zero, but they actually also have to sum to zero in rows and columns. Okay? So they have to, going down and going across, they have to also sum to zero. And again, you'll see in a second when I, we, I work through a couple of examples that there's no other way this can work. This isn't, this, this, this actually falls, these, these things actually come out of the, the fact that, that you're saying this is true. Okay. And if you remember, the sum of the tau effects, the treatment effects, always sum to zero in the original analysis variance, the sort of plain one-way analysis variance. The sum of the treatment effects, the sum of the tau, treatment one, treatment two, also sum to zero. These are just treatment effects. We just have now two treatments. And then we have this extra thing, this interaction term. Error is normally distributed and independent with a mean of zero and a variance of sigma squared. Okay? So the error is normal and independent with a mean of zero and a variance of sigma squared. It's the same thing with individual differences we had in the one-way analysis of variance. Error is normal and independent with a mean of zero and a variance of sigma squared. You can violate the normality. You can't violate the independence. And the zero and sigma squared, again, just follow the fact that we said at the beginning that x equals u plus alpha plus beta plus alpha beta plus epsilon. You'll see, again, you'll see that. Those are some assumptions that come out of the model. We're going to do an F-test. We're going to do a couple, actually three F-tests. We're going to see if, if A is significant, in a third way, is there a third way, B significant, and is the interaction significant. So let's do look at some assumptions for an F-test. Homogeneity of variance, not surprising. This is just analysis of variance, it's just a little more complicated. Random samples. <laughs> sure they are. Uh, close enough. You can violate that. You can violate that. We never have random samples. It, just, it never happens. Right? But it's not a big deal. Normal populations. <laughs> doesn't matter. Well, the hell in that. doesn't matter. So most of the F assumptions we can violate. We can violate this to a point, homogeneity variance. We, we almost always violate random samples and normal populations, and it just doesn't matter. Okay. The math doesn't change that much. Yeah, Sean? Is the violation for homogeneity of variance still four? Yeah, it's like, you know, the, the sort of rule of thumb is four times, one four times bigger than another. Yeah. And that's just a rule of thumb. I mean, all it does when you violate homogeneity of variance is it makes the tests more conservative. So the nice thing is it makes it less likely for you to find an effect that's there. It doesn't make you more likely to say there's an effect that isn't there, which is good, because at least you're going to miss something, which too bad you missed it, but you're not going to say, there's aliens and psychics. Like, you're not going to say something ridiculous. Like, you're not going to say, oh, there's an effect, and there isn't one. It's not going to do that, at least. 
If it made the test unreliable that way, we'd probably find a new way of analyzing it. Good question. Okay, let's look at sort of a numerical example. These are going to be means, group means. I'm going to ignore individual subject scores within each cell. So let's just say that there's five people in each cell and their mean is nine for A1, B1. And their mean is seven for A2, B1. And their mean is three for A1, B2. And their mean is one for A2, B2. Okay, so I'm ignoring that there's individuals in there. I just go look at group means for, for illustrative purposes. Okay, questions? To see what I've done then, that's all this is. These A is an independent variable and B is an independent variable. I don't know what they are. They're A and B. That's all there. Okay, remember that x equals mu plus alpha plus beta plus alpha beta plus epsilon. Let's take out all these different components. And let's go from the most general thing to the more specific thing. So the most general thing is the grand mean. Well, what's the grand mean? 9 and 7 is 16, and 3 is 19, and 1 is 20 divided by 4, because there are 4 cells, is 5. There's nothing fancy going on there. I got the average of four scores. That's all I've done. And I'm going to take that out. So I'm going to take 5 out of here, 5 out of here, 5 out of here, and 5 out of here. And then we are left with only the effects of A, B, and A by B, because we've removed the grand mean. So we end up with 4, 2, negative 2, negative 4. It's just arithmetic. I just subtracted 5. So if the grand mean removed, we can go on to look at the effects of A and B. You can double check that I removed the grand mean properly. That all sums to 0. I've taken out the means. I've taken out 5 from each cell. Now that that's gone, it should be 0, the grand mean. And it is. OK. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to sum across A. So 4 and 2 and negative 2 and negative 4. So the average for B1 is 3, and the average for B2 is negative 3. Hey, look, the B effects sum to 0. And while I did make this, make up these numbers, I can tell you the only thing I did here was make sure I didn't have fractions. But you should be able to see that it would just work this way. So all the scores in B1 are, are, are elevated by 3. All the scores in B2 are depressed by 3. So let's take 3 out of B1, and let's take negative 3 out of B2. We're going to take 3 out of B1, and we're going to take negative 3 out of B2. That's all we're going to do. Same thing as we did before, except now they apply differently to B1 and B2. So I'm going to get what? 3, I'm sorry, 1, negative 1, right? And then 1, negative 1. Subtract 3 from all the B1s and negative 3 from all the B2s. And now we can find out what the average is for the A's. For A1, it's 1. And for A2, it's negative 1. 
So we're going to do the same thing as before for the A's. Now we're going to take one out of all the A1s and negative one out of all the A2s, and you can probably see what's going to end up with. We have nothing left. absolutely nothing. That is telling us now there's no interaction, because if there was an interaction left, there would be, these would be non-zero. They would be non-zero. So there's just a mean and effects of A and B, there, are no, there is no interaction effect. Now this is all hypothetical. But hopefully this illustrates the idea that you'd have no, in this case, no interaction. What you could do to prove it to yourself is you could graph it. That's the original numbers just thrown into the program numbers, actually, which, which uh, just made a graph for me. Notice how there is an effect of A, because A1 is higher up than A2 on average, and B1 is higher up than B2. There's an effect of A and an effect of B, but there is no interaction because the effect of A does not change depending upon the level of B. The lines are parallel with that. The lines are parallel. Another example. A1, A2, B1, B2, so just 2 by 2, 20, 0, negative 2, oh, sorry, negative 10 and 2. So we're going to do first take out the grand mean. So that's going to be, let's see, 20 minus 10 plus 2. So that's 12 divided by 4 is 3. So we're going to take 3 out of each. Subtract 3, so you get 17 minus 3, minus 13, minus 1. Right? So now we're going to remove the grand mean. I don't know why that other thing disappeared. That was weird. And I just did that. And no, this is exact numbers I just said. Now you can do the A's first, the B's first doesn't matter. But just pick one. I picked the A's. 4 and negative 4 is the sum, so that means the effect of A1 is 2, the effect of A2 is negative 2. You know, it's interesting. Those are deviations from the mean. And if I sum those together, 2 and negative 2, and I squared them, 4 and 4 is 8, the sum of squares for A would be 8. That's actually how the sum of squares works. They just usually work with the means. We've taken the mean out to make it all from 0. 
We'll eventually get there. I'm just saying that you might be wondering where the sum of squares are and the mean square. Well, the sum of squares here is going to be for A is 8. Because it's 2 squared plus negative 2 squared. Just 4 and 4, which is 8. So we're going to take 2 out of A1 and negative 2 out of A2. I'm dividing 4 by 2 because there's two observations that got me a sum of 4. Oh, because that's just the sum. I want the average effect. Yeah, it's the sum. It's not, it's not the effect itself. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. You good? You look like you. you I know. thought I was, and then you asked. I realized I don't, I don't understand that. Okay, what don't you understand? Okay, so the, just the two thing one more time. Right, so I'm just getting the sum of those two scores which is giving me 4 and negative 4, but I want an average of the effect. So you've got two observations, you divide by 2. You get the average. Just like you get the grand mean, you divide by 4 because there's four observations. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I, it's, it's, that's always the thing. Yeah. Somebody, I understand that it can be confusing, but then you go, oh. <laughs> right? Because I'm just getting at an average. The average effect is plus 2 or minus 2 here because we have two observations. Each does. Okay. So we take two out of the A1s, we take two out of the B2s. And like I said, it's neat how they're always sum to zero. They will always sum to zero. They can't not. If you were doing an example like this on a quiz, they have to sum to zero. If they don't, you did it wrong. It is impossible for them not to. This is the universe works this way. It really does. Like you, you can't come up with numbers where it wouldn't work out to take sum to zero. It can't be done because of the because of the way you do this procedure. So I've taken the twos out. Fifteen negative fifteen negative one one. So go summing across A to get the for B's. I got fourteen and negative fourteen or seven and seven and negative seven. Notice how the cells sum to zero. The grand mean is gone. And so do the columns, because we've taken out the effect of what happens to A. So it's gone. So if we've removed it, it's going to be zero. You can always check as you go along. So for B, we'll have B1 is 7 and B2 is negative 7 or 6. Take 7 out of all the B1s and take negative 7 out of all the B2s. And we end up with this. <gasps> There's stuff left over. I don't know why I did it like that. It's sort of a curious. Yeah. I don't know what I was doing there. So we have an interaction because the effect of we've taken out the effects of A and B, yet there's still something left. So being at A one B one raises your score by eight. Being at A two B one depresses your score by eight, and then. Same thing down here, except flipped around. Note that they sum to zero. Note that they sum to zero down and across. OK. Can you just go back one slide? I can. I can go back. Let's do. Whoops. I think I went too far back. Here, right? 
And then Whoops. Okay. So there? Is that where you want to go? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, in this case, we had 7 and minus 7. We're just going to take the 7 and the minus 7 out and see what's left. Sum of squares for B, out of curiosity. Seven squared plus minus seven squared, which is twenty-eight. Okay. Then we have the interaction because we have it's the desert on zero. Okay. So we have an interaction. The effects do sum to zero in every possible way. If it was just zeros, we have no interaction. Zeros is nothing. Zeros mean there's no interaction. Now you could, this would be a bizarre thing to do, you could take out the interaction and you'd have zeros. Okay, let's take, uh, take eight out of that and eight minus eight over here. I don't know why you'd do that. Sum of squares for interaction, by the way, is uh, 8 squared plus 8, negative 8 squared plus 8 squared plus negative 8 squared, which is 256. Did that right? 64 and 64 is 128. Yes, 256. All those 8s sum together. All those 8s squared. Okay. So and if we graph this one, we'd see, wow, is that ever an interaction? It's not just the, the effect of A changes depending upon the level of B. In fact, the order of the effect changes depending upon the level of A here, doesn't it? At A1, B2 is way bigger than B1. Or sorry, yes, B2 is bigger than B1. And at A2, they're almost the same, but, but B2 is a little bit bigger than B1. Completely switches. Completely switches. Questions so far? You might think, when would you get these kind of Results. Well, think about it. This, this happens all the time. If you think about something like levels of processing or retention interval, we'll go with retention interval. And we have different retention intervals here, one, two, and three, whatever they are. And we had a memory test, which was just recall. It's going to look like that. So that's called recall. And we had another memory test, which was word fragment completion, where you actually just fill in blanks if you've seen words before. And in fact, what you get in that case is that. Oh, look, it's an interaction. 
This happens all the time. We're dealing with pretty complex systems. We're dealing with living systems. Usually one variable doesn't do things on its own. Usually there's an effect it has on its own, but it also works with a whole bunch of other things. That's basically how it works with living systems. They just work that way. Okay, so how do we interpret this? It's kind of difficult to interpret main effects, that's just the effect of A or just the effect of B, in the presence of an interaction. I bet you, with our example here, with word fragment completion recall, if we just looked at Retention of it on its own, on average, the memory score goes down. But would you be comfortable saying that retention interval makes memory poor with those results? Probably not, right? Because you'd say if the task is recall, yes. And think about what you're saying. If you're saying that retention interval affects memory if it's recall, you're saying the effect of one variable changes depending upon the level of some second variable. That's what you're saying in the abstract. So be kind of careful. It's not so bad with what's called an ordinal interaction. An ordinal interaction is where the order of the main effects is preserved. So let's go over here. Let's see over here. certain level of decorum that involves erasing the board when your class is done. So, let's say we had an experiment like this, we got a result like this. So it's uh, A1, A2, we have a, that's a two somehow, kind of variable here, and so B1, and there's B2. There's probably interaction there because those are not parallel lines, but I would feel pretty confident saying I would be able to say that A2 is lower than A1 and that B1 is higher than B2. So I would be confident enough to interpret this by saying I have an effective A and an effective B and an interaction. Because that effect, the difference between B1 and B2 is bigger than A2. But I'm confident enough here that I can, like, I can say that without hedging. I can talk about A, the effect of A on its own. I can talk about the effect of B on its own. That's something I can do. I feel perfectly happy doing it. That's called an ordinal interaction. Okay? This is when the order of main effects is preserved. On the other hand, do this. And there's B2. There's probably an effect in A there. Because all the scores in A2 are lower than the scores in A1. But can I talk about one of those effects without talking about another effect? I can't. 
I can't say that B2, B1 is bigger than B2 because I, I add A1, but not an A2. So this one is called a disordinal interaction. So with a disordinal interaction, it's much harder to talk about main effects. In fact, you might want to just avoid talking about them altogether. Are they there? Yes. But can you interpret them? Without interpreting the interaction, without talking about the interaction, you can't. So it's probably impossible to talk about the main effects without talking about the interaction. So why do it? It seems to me at this point you say, no, I, I can't do that. And you'll see this a lot in papers when you read them. People will say it's a main effect of A and a main effect of B. Well, they'll say the variables are call A and B. And then they'll say there's an interaction, and they'll talk about the interaction. They won't really talk about the main effects. Because you can't. You can't talk about them without talking about the other variable. Remember, interaction, the effect of one variable changes depending upon the level of some second variable. Some people will say never talk about interactions or main effects in the presence of interactions. So people say that. I think they're being too conservative. Uh, I, think if you, I think in the example on the left, normal interaction, I can't. But uh, everybody's a little bit different. Like I said, if you have to tie yourself into knots by talking about, when you talk about the main effects, stop doing it. And then usually you have to do that when you have a disordered interaction. Whenever I get a notification, I can think maybe there's been a trade in the NHL because the trade deadline's coming. I'm sorry to keep checking that. <laughs> you know, it's actually important. This is just a, a way for me to get enough money to subscribe to the NHL hockey <laughs> papers. That's all this is. And buy liquor. That's really all this is. <laughs> and it's a calling. <laughs> oh, I was really hoping the music would start up. Alas, no. So, do you understand why this? First of all, you understand the notion that people have. A lot of people have that you just don't talk about main effects in the presence of interactions. Because it's hard to. You know, A1's bigger than A2, but way bigger than B2 than there's a big one. So some people, as I said, more conservative in their way to do things would say, don't just don't do that. I would say if I can do it, I can do it here with normal interaction. I can't do it with a disorderly interaction. I can't in uh, well I can't talk about the effect of A without mentioning B. So I don't. Now, I have also heard people say you should talk about all the effects. But I think if I can't be in, if I can't do it without twisting myself into knots, I'm not going to do it. Questions about this so far? So the sum of squares and degrees of freedom can be partitioned just like they were with straight up simple analysis of the analysis variance. So the model is, again, x equals mu plus alpha plus beta plus alpha beta plus epsilon. You will remember that. 
I've said it a lot, I'm sure it's it. If you notice the other day, I almost said that instead of saying eight people's beautiful talentless epsilon. Because I think in factorial we know that, I guess. So, okay. Sum of scores total equals sum of scores for A plus sum of scores for B plus sum of scores for AB plus sum of scores for error. So if we were to get more fancy, not really fancy yet. Let's think about what these things mean. Sum of squares for A is the square deviation of column means from the grand mean, as I said before, right? Now, I'm saying, but they're from zero. Yeah, that's because we took up the grand mean because it makes the arithmetic easier. That's all they are. Sum of squares for B, of course, is squared deviations from, of row means from the grand mean. So sum of squares for AB, sum of squares for AB, that's the interacting sum of squares, is the square deviations of cell means from what we would expect given the row and column means. This is that extra stuff that's left over when we've taken out the, the effect the, 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 for, for rows and columns or you know, for A and B. So square deviations of cell means from what we'd expect given the row and column means. Sum of squares for error, which we didn't do, like I said, I just said, let's just assume there's subjects in there and their, and their means came out like this, are just square deviations of individual scores from their cell means. You can do that, it's just that we'd still be on the first example. It, it, it'd just take forever. But it's the same principle. You would just figure out what all the individual scores. Okay, so now we'll be precise with this. We'll do this now with actual notation. Sum of squares total, look, it's x minus x bar sub g, that's each score minus the grand mean. Sum of squares for a, sum of squares for b, sum of squares for a, b, sum of squares for error, those three summations. Well, why are the three? Because I'm doing it inside each cell, and then I add back to each other cell, and I add all those up. I'm just summing three times. You don't have to, no one's ever going to make you do this. That would be ridiculous. No one does things by hand. Why would you do it by hand? It's insane. It's easy to do with a computer, so why not do it that way? There are big N minus one degrees of freedom in total. And any design has a finite number of degrees of freedom. It's going to be the number of observations minus one. Now we're going to partition that out. This is there are there are a levels of a. So there's a minus one level of degrees of freedom for a. There's b minus one degrees of freedom for b. 
There's a minus one times b minus one degrees of freedom for the interaction. And then for sum of squares error, or within groups, if you want to call it that, it's a times b times n minus one. I don't know where the a minus one went, but pretend it's still there. b minus one and a minus one. Think about this. If we have a simple two by two design. If I say that the effect for A, for A1 is one, what's the effect for A2? A2. If A1 was one, A2 must be, yeah. I have one degree of freedom. I have the number of levels of A that I have minus one. Let's make this just a little more complicated though. Let's make it a two by three. So if all the A's went up, so if I went one minus one, the final one would have to be zero. If I did six, I think it was six minus three minus three. I have the number of levels of that independent variable minus one. For the interaction here, let's make it even bigger. B1, B2, B3, that's the worst looking three. I'm just gonna erase that even though I'm gonna see. Uh, okay, how about a two and a four? And I don't know, six. And uh, I don't know, how about another two here? Oh, uh, minus four, minus 10, uh, 14. Uh, let's see, so that's gonna be two and six is eight, so it's gonna be negative eight. Two and four is six, negative six. I had two times two, e minus one times a minus one degrees of freedom. I arbitrarily assigned four values in that case. After that, the rest of them are fixed. Okay, so it's a minus one times b minus one degrees of freedom. How many degrees of freedom do I have here for within each cell? Let's say there's five people per cell here. So within each cell, how many degrees of freedom are there? Four. Then how many cells do I have? A times B. So it would be three times three times four. Okay. So it's three times three times four. A times B times A minus one. Questions so far? Stop here because this is a lot of stuff at once, and also because break's coming and you should all go out of the break. All right.
Thanks for listening to the lecture. Um, all of the audio is available, of course, on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. Just search for da- uh, Dr. Dave Broadbeck's uh, Psychology Lectures at Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a sh- uh, um, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GAU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me, and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, what I call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time.